What up, Rail Split Nash? Hopefully you're enjoying your Canada Day week and 4th of July week for you Americans. Um, and to all of you, hopefully you've been safe out there. You have all your appendages still. So welcome to this week's episode. We'll be talking day two of Gettysburg. What's up? <laughs> hey, this is Rail Splitter Nick here. Um, so excited to talk to all of you who are probably taking a break from your Stranger Things season three binge. So we appreciate you fitting us in the middle of that. And with me is Mary. What's up? What's up, Rail Splitters? You watch Stranger Things? I do not. Oh, I just watched the first two seasons, so I'm acting like I'm a real fan, yeah, but I just got on the bandwagon. I'm gl- looking up at Jerry's calendar right now, and it's a Stranger Things calendar that I bought him for like $3 in February at Barnes & Noble. He's actually, that, he's actually a huge fan of the show. That's awesome. Um, and Jeremy is, I, I don't know, I think he's in the Midwest now with his family. So he is. Um, his return is getting closer as he's getting closer to home. So um, we're excited about that. Um, yeah, Canada Day. How's Canada Day? It was, um, well, I, uh, sat outside most of the day, and if anybody follows me on Twitter, you know exactly what I was doing. I was tweeting about the Battle of Gettysburg all day. <laughs> so, I didn't go up to the parade that was in my town. I, um, I spent it, um, talking about the battle, which was fine with me. It was a nice day to be sitting outside, so... So what is Canada Day? It is the day that we became a country in 1867. So we became the, I think it's the Confederation of Canada. Which the Civil War helped speed that whole process up, I believe. It it did indeed. Yeah, that was um, a huge factor in us becoming a country. And the year before, in 1866, there had actually been some issues with this group called the Fenians. And I think they were like Irish yep. descent and they were threatening to come over and invade us. And that's why General Sherman visited my hometown was to basically say, no, they're not going to do this. For my grandpa's 92nd birthday, which was uh, in May, yeah. I bought him a book about the Irish who were going to basically start that rebellion in Canada. Wow. So I, I'll see him this weekend. Whereas you're listening to the show, I'm probably visiting with him. Um, so I'll have to see how the book is going, if he's read it or not. We actually just, a book just crossed my desk at work that we got in, um, cause one of my jobs at library workout, like I, um, I do send out books to the various branches that we have in the County of Huron. And one of them was about, um, the Fenian raids in Canada. And, uh, I'd look through it and Seaward was in there. Yeah. Your man Seaward. <laughs> I got a picture of him I should put on an Instagram account. Um, yeah, I took one of him at the Lincoln Museum when I was down there. <laughs> um, I was going to say something. Oh, do you know who the author is? Is it a newer book? Oh, I think it came out knowing like things in the library, you don't get them right away. So yeah. it's probably a few months since it so came out. So within the past year? Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, if it's the same book I heard, I heard the guy speak on a podcast, and he was a good speaker, and that's kind of what led me to buy it. I have not read the book yet, but it's a new book out there on it. I'm sure it's. I'm sure there's not a thousand of them, so if you look for the most recent book on it, um, the author had a lot to say. So, and I've heard of good things about the book. So, yeah, it's it's probably the same book that um, we got a couple copies in at my library that I work at. Well, enough promoting other people's shit. <laughs> Back to promoting our stuff. Yes. So um, we were talking before we went on air, and the three of us in our group chat within the past couple weeks, we have decided that we are taking a rail splitter road trip for a hundredth episode. And Mary, what is the destination of this road trip? Springfield, Illinois. So Mary is finally going to go to Springfield, Illinois. I am. So we are super excited. We're still working out the logistics of stuff. Uh, but I guarantee there will be a house and a museum visit for sure. Um, special guest? I don't know. Meetup? I don't know. Um, so I don't know if listeners, if we have any listeners in the Springfield area, uh, you know, is a meetup something we should think about? That's I, my question. I think we should definitely try and do a meetup. Maybe uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Since it's Labor Day weekend, maybe on the Saturday night would be the best day to do it. At some, I'm only going to show up if uh, if 100 people are there, and they all have to be your favorite. Like anybody has to have Nick as their favorite rail splitter. Yeah, I don't go out and socialize with just two people. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I was thinking we need to get shirts made and you can get one that says hashtag team Nick and then Jeremy now wear ones that say hashtag the other two. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. That'd be about right. <laughs> I have been on the most episodes. so That's true. You've been on more than I have. I am the Cal Ripken Jr. of this podcast. You and Boyce have been on the same number of episodes. Oh, no, wait, no that's not true. <laughs> you, you... You're second now. All right. I did miss one, but I was on that episode. I missed that one book interview because I had a. Oh right, that was just Boyce and I that did that one. Yeah. Outside of that, I think I've been on everyone. You have. Believe it or not, so. Um, I don't think you've missed one though since you joined. No, I haven't. So. Um. Yes. So we're excited for the hundredth. Um. So that to get there, we are going to be on episode. This is ninety four. So we will have a couple breaks here. Um. Where you'll have to, you know go about two weeks before you hear our wonderful voices um but yeah we're excited for the 100th anniversary uh we have been talking about maybe doing some meetups especially for our local listeners um so uh, mary i know you're super excited actually i i am really i was when we started talking about it um i told my husband jerry right away and he was like yeah we can do it and i said well you kind of have to be there you're like our producer so that is true he does. I guess Kara has no role, so no, I'm just joking. She's your she's your she's your like cheerleader. She's your... She puts up with me for sure. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's gonna be fun. So we're, we're still working out the logistics. We'll definitely each day that gets closer, we're putting more and more stuff together. So I definitely think a meetup would be cool um if we have people doing it. So if you're interested in meeting up stuff in your area, let us know. Um so yeah, we'll go from there. You got ideas of what you think Mary should do for her first time in Springfield. I'm yes. sure me and Boyce have many Let me ideas. Know. Let me know. Where where should I go eat? Um, I'll tell you this much. I, loved, I love pub-style food. I love craft beer, and I love wine. So anything with that 
and obviously Abraham Lincoln. So, but I know where I'm going to go to see him. Yeah, that's the easy stuff. Yeah. So we're pretty excited. Anything else about that, Mary? Um, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I hope we can do some kind of like, I don't know if I want to call it a tweet up because we have people who are just exclusively on our Facebook page and people who are on Twitter. So I think just like a meetup, maybe at like a local pub or something somewhere would be really cool. And we can all just sit and talk about Lincoln and, you know, go from there. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be, yep. It's going to be awesome. No better way to celebrate the hunter. So we'll yeah. probably get a couple episodes from down there too that we'll record. So yeah. um probably at least two, if not twenty. Um no, we won't get that. No, much. we're gonna be doing is <laughs> just recording. <laughs> yeah. We're just gonna have a live mic, Facebook yeah. Live the whole time. Exactly. So uh but no, we're excited for that. Um so we were looking for some current Lincoln news. The the thing that kept popping up on my end was the new Bible, which we talked about last mm-hmm. week. So a lot of Lincoln articles about religion, which we mentioned. But, Mary, I did come across something. Okay. And I'm going to see how smart you are. Okay. Since, you, since if you go back to our trivia episode, you know that Mary beat me and Boyce um, in that. And do you know who the last witness of Lincoln's assassination was? Well, I know it was a guy that was on TV at one point talking about it. That is correct. That's pretty good because I didn't know that at all today till I came across the video. Oh. It was Samuel G. Seymour. Samuel J. Seymour, excuse me. Um, he was five years old. He was at it. And I came across this article. Was, I think it's Business Insider. And then yep. he was on um, some 1950s show. I think it was 1956. Yeah, because my husband and I were talking, like Jerry and I were talking about it. We were talking about how my dad would have been like 11 years old when that yeah. guy was on that show. Yeah, that's crazy. Although, the think 1956, he still had a, somebody who witnessed it alive is pretty remarkable to me. I know. That's crazy. And then, I forget the show's name, but it was something like a 20 questions type thing. Like, you had to figure out, like, what he witnessed. Um, and it was like a celebrity panel. I think Lucille Ball was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy, I guess before he came on, he actually fell down the stairs, got like a shiner. And they told him he didn't have to come on because he was like, he was 90, I want to say he was 90 years old at yeah. the time of the show. So, but uh, yeah, I came across it. It's kind of an interesting video. Um, and just kind of shows you that, you know, what are we, two, three generations only away from somebody who was alive during that assassination. So, yeah, that's, yeah, when, when Jerry and I were talking about it, just that he was like, your your father, when he was 10 years old, there was still somebody alive that was around when yeah. Lincoln was killed. And then um, I mentioned in that discussion we had, I said, well, there's still, pe- there, I think there was still like one woman drawing a conf- like a pension from the yes, Civil we- War. Like, was it her husband or something like that? Or Yes, you had a lot of Civil War veterans get married later for these pensions and stuff mm-hmm. so yeah i actually have a book here i need to read it civil war fathers basically the sons of the civil war in world war ii so a lot of these kids ended up fighting in world war ii and a guy in illinois wrote this book about it uh, i have it i haven't read it yet so but yeah maybe we'll talk about that on the show interesting but anyways, the business at hand. It is that time of year. It is Gettysburg time. Yeah. Um, if you've been following Mary, you know she's been tweeting nonstop about it. 
as well as many Civil War Twitter historians have been. Um, we did, ep- uh, excuse me, we did day one last episode. You want to give us a rundown on how day one played out and set up the stage here, Mary? Yep. So day one was fought in three phases, and it basically just involves the Union Army getting pushed back further and further and further. But what John Buford did there, um, because he was the one that was there when the fighting started initially in the morning, he was able to hold off um, the rebels long enough until the 1st and the 11th Corps arrived. And that's when um, John Reynolds was was killed at around 1030 in the morning. And then from there, you just have the Confederates very slowly pushing them back through the town. So by the end of day one, you have um, the Confederates are where the Union Army were at the beginning of the day, but the Union Army are occupying defensive positions all um, so kind of. So we're going to talk about in like kind of a fish hook sort of thing. So they're on Cemetery Hill, Cemetery Ridge, and Culps Hill. Um, that's where they are at the end of day one. And then the fish hook goes north. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to visualize it on a map. Yeah. And only one quarter of the Union Army, so one quarter of the Army, the Potomac, is going to be fighting in Gettysburg on day one because they're all kind of scattered. They're like in a 25-mile line because Meade had this Pipe Creek plan that he wanted to possibly put into play if needed. So they're kind of scattered. So it takes them time to get to Gettysburg. That's why the 1st and the 11th Corps are the first to arrive because they're only about five miles from Gettysburg. Um, So one quarter of the AOP is fighting on day one and one third of Lee's army is fighting on day one. And Meade does not actually get to Gettysburg until about midnight on July um, on day one. And Lee arrives in mid afternoon, I think. Yep. And Jeb Stewart's not there yet. No, that'll be another tale for day two as well. Yeah. Jebby's not there. Which I think we talked a little about. He got yeah. slowed down. Spoils of war slowed him down a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So he actually gets a message, um, I think, very late on day one saying where Meade is. So he starts hightailing it, but he's 35 miles away, I think. And he's also got, you know, this baggage stuff to bring with him, too. Um, so that's where we are in day at the end of day one. Yeah, and we kind of talked about like if it was a hockey game, hanging out the three stars. Yeah, uh, Buford definitely does a mm-hmm. remarkable job. Reynolds, I think, did. You could definitely talk about Hancock coming there, understanding yep. its strategic importance, and even Meade being able to put the gentleman in charge that needed to be, and being able to move his army. So, yeah, exactly, and. Um... Also to Governor K. Warren for reckon for agreeing with mm-hmm. Hancock for saying that yes, this is definitely the spot to fight, and Warren is going to play um, an even more important role on day two, as we will see. Yeah, and then we talked a little bit, I think, too, about the Confederates. You know, the what if Stonewall was there? Yeah. Um, we kind of came to the conclusion. We both kind of felt it wasn't necessarily Ewell Mm-mm. being bad, General. We kind of sided with the decision he made. Kind of looked at the reasons why he made it and can understand why he did. Yeah. Um, and it probably would have been going against odds if he did take the initiative and did send them in, too. So. Yeah, exactly. 
but both sides, I think, had reasons to believe that, you know, they were in decent shape going mm-hmm. into day two for sure. Um, you know, Confederates are still coming off the high of Chancellorville. You had the unions in a good defensive position, um, which, you know, Meade's definitely thinking along those lines. So that leads us to the morning of day two. Yep. By the way, is whenever you say the AOP, I think of this tag team and wrestling, the authors of pain. So it's been a while since I had wrestling. Well, that's about uh, what I mentioned. <laughs> that's so that's true. always the first thing that pops in my mind. AOP. I'm like, oh, there's a pain. Then I'm like, nope, Army of the Potomac. So um, I felt like everybody needed to know that. So well, there just, you go, everybody. I was going to say day three, you should make that reference again for when we do our day three episode, because that's basically what Meade is to the Confederacy. He's an author of pain. True. Nicely yep. played. <laughs> All right, so we got 6, 7 in the morning. What's happening, Mary? So um, by morning, six of the seven corps of the Army of the Potomac are in Gettysburg. The only one that's not there is Sedgwick's um, sixth corps. I hope I'm getting – VI is six, right? V- yeah. Okay, good. I'm not good with Roman numerals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six. So they're about 30 miles away, but they are hauling ass to get there. Um, they will end up arriving early evening, so they will be available to fight on July the 3rd. So it's good that Meade has like them kind of in the reserve. Um, so today, day two, Lee is going to launch multiple attacks on the Army of the Potomac, and they will be unsuccessful, but there's going to be heavy casualties on both sides. And um, so to begin, like the fighting actually doesn't start on day two until later on in the afternoon. Like I think it's at around four when Longstreet finally launches his, what his is supposed to be his quote unquote surprise attack. That always um, seems crazy to me. I know. Like what it was the, so late in the day, the hell were they doing? Like, I'm like, what were they doing all day? Like I thought you they got, woke up at dawn and fought. I mean, outside of Pickett's charge, I feel like day two is like the story of Gettysburg. And then, but it starts, I just remember when I first, like, realized, when I was old enough to realize that, it always just kind of, it still amazes me that it was so late in the day. I know, yeah. When I was doing the research for this episode and then for also the tweets that I was putting out, I'm like, wow, it doesn't happen until really late in the day. Um, but Meade is out, he goes out and he examines the Union line. And as we said, it, it's a fish hook, basically. So it runs about three miles long, which... Like, I'm trying to visualize that at Gettysburg. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's... The, the problem at Gettysburg is you never really see Culp's Hill from, like... No. The main part, like, Cemetery Hill and everything in Ridge. Yeah. And Culp's Hill, for those of you who don't know, it's, like, the northern part. It's, like, the fish hook, basically. Yeah. It's Culp's Hill. And... The importance of that, if like the Confederates had that, they'd be able to shell the crap out of the mm-hmm. the Union at Cemetery Ridge with yeah. artillery. But yeah, it you yes, Cemetery Ridge you could see visually, like I could see it now. I don't know if you can, like how yep. that lines up. But then like oh, Culp yeah. Hill, and there's like you kind of like drive around to get there too. Yeah, and there's also like Cemetery Ridge. I associate it with being like part of it is near where the McDonald's is in the best Western that I always stay at as well, which is really sad that it's, I'm associating it with that. I'm going to walk from cemetery Ridge all the way to Culp's Hill. That's what I want to do too. So that's only three miles. Yeah. I think we need to do a real splitter road trip to Gettysburg. Oh yeah, for sure. 
episode 105. Yeah. <laughs> Every five episodes. Every up, five episodes we're doing a road trip and getting together. <laughs> By the way, if you're willing to sponsor the uh, Rail Splitter, we'd appreciate it. So yes. we could not go broke doing all these trips. Yeah, so we can do these road trips and bring more content to our listeners. Yes. Um, so uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Yes, it would be. So the fish hook starts, the barb is at Culp's Hill, and then it curves around Cemetery Hill and following the line, Cemetery Ridge down to the round tops. Um, so Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, they're roughly parallel to this on Seminary Ridge um, and an arc northwest, north and northeast of the town. So like I said, they're basically where the Union Army was the day before. And Lee wants to get Cemetery Hill. And that, that's his goal is to get that because that's the high ground as Buford says um, much, <laughs> much love to Sam Elliott <laughs> yeah actually did you see my tweet today Nick it was Obi-Wan wasn't it yeah <laughs> yeah it's overly I have the high ground <laughs> Lucas was thinking of the Civil War when he wrote yeah that. that's exactly it um, <laughs> so Meade said that in the course of the day I expect to have 95,000 troops Enough, I guess, for this business. Well, we might fight it out here just as well as anywhere else. So Meade, even at this point, he's kind of like, I don't know, but I'm just going to trust my commanders and what they say with it being a good place to fight. Because when he arrived at Gettysburg very late after the first day, like I think it was well after midnight, um, he met with Slocum and Sickles. And I think... Hancock was there too and a couple others and they were all like oh no this is a great place to fight and Meade was just like well it better be because we're stuck yeah like this is where and he was willing to fight too because yeah Sickles will claim that Meade did not want to fight and we'll get into the whole Sickles thing here shortly yeah Sickles is uh, Sickles is Sickles yeah by the time day two starts Meade's committed to that area Mm -hmm. so Lee orders Longstreet to assault along the Emmitsburg Road, and it's supposed to be a surprise attack. And the the whole objective of what Lee wants to do is strike like obliquely, so rolling up their left flank, which should collapse the line of the Union Corps into each other, and then the rebels would see Cemetery Hill. And the whole plan is based on faulty atel- intelligence because Jeb is still MIA. So yes, he, he is. So he Lee is kind of not. I think he can sort of see what's happening, but his plan, like he doesn't know fully what's going on with the Union Army. And Longstreet is also delayed in getting started. So Lee's got his troops placed. And that is where we're going to discuss General Sickles. 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 I'll let you start it off. Oh, I had fun with him yesterday on Twitter. Actually, there is a Sickles Twitter account, and I actually asked him, I said at one point, I'm like, how are those peaches? <laughs> nice. And then I posted a picture. Nobody got, like, not many people got it, I don't think, but I was like, this is what he was going after, and I posted a picture of Princess Peach. <laughs> That's and good. I was like, oh, nobody's going after that one. Um, so Meade has ordered Sickles to take position to the left of the the Second Corps, which is commanded by General Hancock. And he's going to extend down Cemetery Ridge. Um, But Sickles decides to go to where he thinks the higher ground is towards the Emmitsburg Road and what is called the Peach Orchard. 
And that is the area he's especially concerned about is the peach orchard. So around two o'clock, much to the shock of Hancock and General Hancock and General Gibbon, who are next to him in the Second Corps, uh, Sickles moves. He just starts moving his men and he marches three quarters of a mile in front of the Union line. He has now created a gap. And I'm sure Hancock and Gibbon were all WTF, what, what's going on? Like, what is he doing? Because Sickles didn't even talk to them. He just moves no. them. He just starts moving and Hancock yeah. and Gibbon are like, what? What are you doing? Like, where are you going? And Gibbon said, we could not conceive of what it meant. As we had heard of no orders for an advance, it did not understand the meaning of making this break in our line. So even, and they're probably shouting at him, like, where are you, what are you doing? Um, so at three o'clock, Meade calls for a meeting with his corps commanders and Sickles isn't there at first. And Warren tells Meade, he says that something is really messed up with where Sickles was supposed to be. Um, and Sickles is, arrives. And as we've discussed about Meade, Meade is like, he's pissed. He's not happy. Um, someone commented, I never saw General Meade so angry, if I may so call it. That's pretty some because Meade was known to get pissed quick. Yeah, I've, like there was that thing at Fredericksburg where it said he got so angry when he didn't get back up that like his anger could have moved rocks. Yeah, that's reminds me of Eleven from Stranger Things. <laughs> but anyways, that's for you, Jer, who's editing the show. Yeah. So <laughs> anyone else? Because I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead. Um, so Meade brings in the Fifth Corps, which was hit in reserve. So they he was holding them back. Brings in the Fifth Corps to cover the gap that Sickles has made. Yeah, and then the question is, why why did Sickles do this? Well, that's I mean, like Meade goes to examine the line and basically says that goes down to Sickles where Sickles is and says, "You're not where I told you to be." And Sickles gets offended. And offers to move his men back. And Meade just says, yes, you may as well at once. The enemy will not let you withdraw without taking advantage of your position. But you have to come back and you may as well do it at once. Although it was probably more colorful than that because it was Meade's son recounting it. (laughs) And then apparently Gibbon and Hancock were reported to have said something like, don't worry, he's going to get pushed back here anyway. Yeah. Like they knew I think it comes down to why does he do it? It's either stupid stupidity or insubordination. I mean, there's some accounts that he was a little confused about the orders because he actually gets Hunt comes out there to inspect the mm-hmm. lines. And then me didn't ever directly like I think that I came across a quote where basically Sickles asked if he had authority to place his corpse in such a manner as in his judgment, he should deem most suitable. Mm. Meade's response was, certainly within the limits of general instructions I have given you, any ground within those limits you choose to occupy, I leave to you. So, you know, like, should Meade have been strict about it? Well, it's unrealistic to expect him to think that Sickles is a freaking idiot. (laughs) Because, I mean, he's treating Hancock, Sulcum the same way, and they didn't make these huge major blunders. No. So it, it really comes down to that. I, I think he was just stupid. Yeah, I think he, he just co- had him. But he could also, some people on Twitter made mention, he could have also been going back to what happened to him at Chancellorsville. Correct. As well, which that start, I can't, the name is escaping me and I should have written it down. It starts with a G. I don't. What are you talking about? Chancellorsville and what happened to Sickles there and his uh, his troops. 
Don't they get like flanked? Yeah. And I think he was worried that that, I think he had saw some perceived gap up ahead of him. And well, also in his defense, Buford was on his flank mm-hmm. on his left flank, but then Buford was ordered out yeah. and was never really replaced. Um, although the book I was reading, Coddington made the argument that wasn't Meade's fault. That was Pleasanton's fault yes. um, for not following through with yeah. that. And then down the road, Sickles is a fascinating individual who deserves his own episode. He will always fight that he was being insubordinate, that he, by him making that move, forced me to stay there and fight. And then the real reason this becomes so problematic is because it really just leaves his flank open. Yeah, The left flank is just wide open now with him really bulged out there. Um, that They have an easier chance of flanking it which Meade won't allow happen because he'll move some troops around, which I'm sure you'll explain here in a second. Yeah, like he moves the 5th Corps in there. And then just as... Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. And then going back to Longstreet's delay, this actually works in Longstreet's advantage because this delay allowed him, allowed for Sickles to move forward. So let's say Longstreet gets going when he was supposed to. Sickles probably isn't that far up in the Peach Orchard now. Mm He's probably back where he was intentionally meant to be, which would have been a harder defensive position to take. So this actually works favorable because some people will say if Longstreet only attacked earlier, maybe the Confederates would have been successful. But I think not that Longstreet planned it this way, probably more, you know, circumstance. So I think that's a wrong argument to use against Longstreet in this, at least in this situation. Yeah, I, I agree. And like, so as you know, Sickles is saying, oh, I'll move it back. And Meade's like, fine, go ahead. Longstreet yeah. launches his artillery yep. attack and Sickles is stuck where he is and his men get absolutely massacred. Like it's some of the bloodiest fighting of the day. It's um, like eventually the Confederates do drive them back where they were originally supposed to be. Sickles ends up getting wounded and having his leg amputated. Um, but Longstreet's plan does not unfold as Lee had wanted it to. And I heard some, like, there was some, the tweets that I did about this generated some really interesting discussion on Twitter, um, basically saying that, you know, like, what Sickles, and Trudeau argues this in his book, what Sickles was, did was bad and it was good. It was good in the sense that it might, like, it sh- it surprised Longstreet because Longstreet was not expecting anybody to be there and it quite possibly slowed him down. But at the same time, it's creating this gap Mm-hmm. in the Union line, which is highly risky, and Meade's having to bring in his um, Fifth Corps, which is the reserve. And he was probably wanting to save those men for in case he needed them somewhere else on the battlefield. Instead, he's having to put them into play right away. Yeah, it's just... It's like reading a kid's ass. I don't even know. Sometimes when you do the most bizarre stuff, it can be good and bad. Yeah, like, like it's bad and stupid. Why'd you do that? But then people don't know how to respond because it's so unexpected. Well, and it's the it's it's become kind of the joke of the battle at Gettysburg, you know. Like it's it's like what what was he thinking? And then like to think about what Hancock and Gibbon were the looks on their faces as he's like leading his troops away, and they're like, "What is he doing? Like why is he breaking the line? What don't we know?" That's why political generals are not wise ideas. Yeah. And it's kind of similar to what Rosecrans did down at Chickamauga, but Rosecrans, too, was going on very little sleep. But still, it 
and that that was a lot worse i think down there because that created an act like a huge gap that you know it was long street strolled right into that one well you know what sickles got karma so oh yes maybe that's a little harsh (laughs) (laughs) it's uh if you want to follow dan sickles on twitter it's at one leg sickles i think he's quite hilarious to follow he's actually it is true. I think I follow him too. Yeah, he, I've seen many of his tweets. It he is and I were having some back and forth because I actually tweeted at him last night. I'm like, how are them peaches right now? And he was like, not bad for a Canadian. You know, we do love to get in on the rail splitter Twitter feuds with historical figures. Yeah. Such as Sickles and that bastard Fillmore. Actually, I was having a little bit of a feud with Mead last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of fun. He was trying. We were, uh, he was trying to out general me. <laughs> nice. Because I said Sherman was my favorite, and he was like, "Oh, I present you with like Petersburg or something like that." And I just, I said, "I'm like, I present you with Savannah." And we were having this little back and forth. It was kind of fun. Um, but I think the Mead account is relatively new, but he was pretty witty. So. All right, more with Mead coming in our future. Yeah. So speaking of Meade, throughout July 2nd, he's riding up and down the battle lines, and Sears describes him as being in the saddle most of the long afternoon and evening, making many of these decisions based on what he personally saw. And at one point, he was so close to the the fighting that his horse, Old Baldy, ends up getting wounded. So that's how he's able to make a lot of these decisions, is he's right there. He's not back at some house like McClellan was at Antietam reading dispatches and distantly watching with binoculars or Lee for that matter. Yes. Who was back in, I think he only gave like one or two orders during mm-hmm. the day. Yeah. Um, direct orders that is. Um, and that's part of that, you know, me being so new, this is probably one of the benefits of it, that he was so used to being right on the front um, and leading from the front. So. Yeah. And so besides the peach orchard, there's various, little battles that are happening all day today or like on the second at uh at gettysburg um there's one in the wheat field that will become known as the bloody wheat field and those assaults start around 5 30 and they end at 7 30 again you can see how late the battle's going and um so these assaults were launched by confederate general lafayette mclaws um 20,444 men were engaged here with 30 30 casualties and the river is said to have ran red with blood so very horrific fighting is happening. Um, but then you have um, probably the most famous of the assaults that day. And one of the reasons it is the most famous is because of Michael Shiraz's book, The Killer Angels, which I highly recommend reading. It is an excellent book. Um, so Little Round Top. And it's actually um, General Warren that concludes that this is the place that needs to... Um, that the union needs to hold. And what happens is when Meade is having his little, when he's angry with Sickles, Warren realizes he needs to go check some other stuff out. Um, So Trudeau basically says that Meade is trying to put out a huge fire, but he's not as concerned about these little fires that are happening that could become bigger fires. Um, So Warren goes over to look at uh, the round tops And he says, I saw that this was the key to the whole Union position. The long line of woods on the west side of the Emmitsburg Road furnished on an excellent place for the enemy to form out of sight. 
So Warren does something that I think was absolutely genius. He sends out an aide to where Smith's battery was in the Devil's Den, and he had a captain fire a shot towards the woods, and all the enemy troops suddenly turned and looked towards that, and Warren caught sight of their guns and bayonets glistening in the sun. And he knew they were there. And Trudeau says that of Warren, that Warren's important discovery went beyond the Third Corps, for it revealed that except for a small signal corps unit, Little Round Top had no defenders. So at that point, Warren immediately sends a dispatch that they, they need um, defenders at Little Round Top. And the Warren statue at uh, Little Round Top is, you've got to go see it. Yeah, it's one of the better places on the field, for yeah. sure. And go see it at sunset, or go see it on, uh, I saw it on a cloudy November day, and the photos that I got were just, I, like, they were really, the coloring is just perfect. Um, so this is the extreme left of the Union line, and the Union Army will face Confederate General John Bell Hood's Alabama Brigade here. So ha- fighting here, you have the 20th Maine, led by a colonel, named Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. And um, other heroes here include Strong Vincent's 5th Corps Brigade, Patrick Patty O'Rourke, and Charles E. Hazlitt. Um, Strong Vincent won't make it out of the battle alive, and I don't think O'Rourke does either. So Chamberlain is told that this was the extreme left of our general line, and that desperate attack was expected in order to turn that position. Chamberlain's told by Vincent to hold that ground at all hazards, and he is at the end of the line on the southern slope. And there's actually a monument to the 20th Maine um, up there, which definitely go see it if you get to Gettysburg. Um, so Chamberlain ends up getting informed by his men that something's happening on, on their front. So he climbs up on a boulder to get a better view and says that it's thick and gray troops who are pushing in a direction to gain our left flank. And Chamberlain's described by Trudeau as a rare breed of citizen soldier whose um, metier was combat. Faced in the heat of battle was a tactical problem requiring a quick solution. He coolly came up with an unconventional um, repost. And I just want to say at this point, my friend Jessica, um, she's JJ3928, I think, on Twitter. Um, She's done a lot of research about Chamberlain. Um, Highly recommend uh, looking her up on Twitter. Um, I'll post post about it on our Real Splitter Twitter page, but she did some really excellent tweeting yesterday about the fight at Little Round Top. It was really, really good. Um, So what Chamberlain does is he has his men maintain steady fire while stepping to their left so that the second rank merged with the first. And standard double-ranked lines of battle were transformed into a much longer single line. I'm hoping I'm explaining that so everybody can understand it. And Chamberlain then bent this back at a place where his left flank had formerly ended. So he and his men held through two charges by the 15th Alabama, and then they were low on ammo. He orders them to fix bayonets and counter the attack, and they managed to capture part of the 15th Alabama. Yeah, so he kind of does it like, I always kind of explain it, like a door on a hinge mm-hmm. as he's kind of swinging down to yep. get them. But yeah, Killer Angels, it's the chapter where he writes about this Chamberlain defending Little Round Top, is probably where I really became hooked on the civil war Mm -hmm. um because it's such a great chapter in the book he does such a nice job writing it um that is really where i think i fell in love with the civil war when i was younger so yeah um, that's what hooked me and everything has led from there so 
I highly recommend Killer Angel's a great historical novel, so it's definitely a a must read if you're interested in Gettysburg, I would argue. Yeah, all it's a great one. Oh, good sorry. one to get started with too. Yep, it's very easy to read. Um and then from there you can read um Michael Shiraz's son Jeff Shiraz has carried on um the writing and I mean my personal favorites are his series about the Western theater starting with starts with Shiloh goes to Vicksburg. Um I'm re-listening to the audiobook right now Blaze of Glory which is about um the fights to get Chattanooga. And then from there he has one um or sorry no Smoke at Dawn is the one I'm listening to and um then from there, he has one about the Atlanta campaign, which I haven't read yet. And he does it all for the Eastern Theater. And he actually has yep. written one on the Mexican-American War, where mm-hmm. a lot of the Civil War generals. That one I really enjoyed yep. um, as well. So I was talking to one of my friends about him the other night, and uh, he has read his series on the... I think he's read the one he wrote on the Revolutionary War, and he said that it was quite good, mm-hmm. too. So basically, just read Jeff Sherrill. He's an excellent author. Yeah. So that is the fight that happens at Little Round Top. Um, and then from there, there are assaults that um, Anderson launches an assault on Hancock and his men along Cemetery Hill. And then Culp's Hill, you have Ewell, whose assaults are repulsed. And I think Early shows up there, too. General Early shows up there, and he's also repulsed. So they can't make, they can't break the Union line. Um and then the way to kind of look at this, if it's like a lot of the fighting takes place on the left and then it's sh- on the union left, that is, and then shifts towards the union right um, to the Culp's Hill, which is kind of their far right or the Fishhook mm-hmm. area. And a lot of Culp's Hill takes place at night. Um, there's a lot of fighting. Um, the Confederates are trying to get them out of there and they're kind of dug in on the hills and kind of kind of it always seems very chaotic. I always envision Culp's Hill not being as organized as some of these other ones no. as far as, you know, um, your traditional lines going in. Yeah. And then there's a couple of holes that almost get poked in around Cemetery Hill. Yeah. Um, you know, you have, what is it, the Minnesota's 82nd? Mm-hmm. Is it the 82nd? No, they suffer Minnesota's first. God dang it. One of the Minnesota regiments, I believe, suffers 82% casualties. Oh, my God clogging up one of the holes. Um, and I think that was where Hancock's guys were at, yeah. um, roughly around there. So that's actually the closest, I believe, they come to breaking through. Yeah. Um, which you kind of get lost because the le- real far left is kind of the – that's the, all the sexiness of Gettysburg Day, too. <laughs> yes, that's that's a good way to put it. That's the, Because you got the little round top. You got the Chamberlain story, most yeah. people know. You got Devil's Dens is cool from a visual mm-hmm. standpoint. You know, the Peach Orchard, Weechfield, you know, you have these landmarks that are there mm-hmm. that make it, I think, more sexy. Whereas some of the other fighting, it tends to be more of a flatter terrain and more open area. Yeah. It, if I'm remembering correctly. So, and it, it's um, chaotic. Yeah. And then uh, if you take the road, I believe the road will start you on that left part of the Union. Yeah. And then you go to your right the way you go. Mm-hmm. Because I believe the road takes you along the Union. The Confederate, excuse me, kind of where they had their artillery lined up. I actually walked this in like a hundred degree day with Kira. She almost killed me. Um, we walked from like where all the like Confederate artillery was around, and then we went to Little Round Top, Devil's Den, 
with the peach orchard, the wheat field, and then back to the car. Oh, man. See, I would do that. Hot. I would do that. I don't care what the... I've walked around Gettysburg in the pouring down rain. So, I had to be dragged yeah. off the battlefield, like, basically told. Yeah. Like, my friend was like, I'm soaked. My shoes are wet and my socks are wet and we're not doing this. I'm like, but I want to keep going. And yeah. no, I got shut down. <laughs> yes. But for those of you who don't like to do all that walking, there is a nice little car. Um, there's a nice road that takes you to all that yeah. stuff. And it's got stops off for Devil's Den, Little Round Top, mm-hmm. all that area there, too. Yeah. And actually, I said Jubal Early was at Colt Hill. He's actually at East Cemetery Hill. So I'm sorry about mm-hmm. that. Um, his infantry will launch or, or launch an attack around 8 p.m. And they get repulsed. The reinforcements drive them from the hill. From the hill. Yeah, and it's a really wooded area out there too, and mm-hmm. it just and they got all sorts of markers out there, and like they're trying to kind of move and advance. It's just I kind of vision kind of being like Vietnam at times, and those firefights in the middle of the night, and they don't know what the hell's going on. And yeah, I, yeah, I, it I had can. to be brutal. And then, so where the f is Jeb Stewart? He arrives late afternoon. And uh, don't really know how that went with Lee, but I would imagine um, there's a painting by Mort Kunstler, and I tweeted it yesterday, and Lee is standing with his hands on his hips, just kind of looking very angry at Jeb, and Jeb is just kind of standing there, and I, you know, I kind of paraphrase it, but it's like, I'm not angry, Jeb. I'm just disappointed. And that's so much worse. Like when your parents say that they're disappointed in you, they're not angry, they're disappointed. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's worse. Um, so anyway, Jeb arrives and probably has to say, like, you know, where were you? Uh, you know, baggage train. Didn't really know what was going on. And so at around 1030 at night, like, so it's dark now. The guns finally fall silent on Gettysburg and day two is over. And Meade will send a telegraph to Halleck in Washington. And he sa- he says to Halleck, the, en- the enemy attacked me about 4 p.m. this day and after one of the severest contests of the war was repulsed at all points. I shall remain in my present position tomorrow, but am not prepared to say until better advised of the condition of the army, whether my operations will be of an offensive or defensive character. And... Um, so Meade ends up having a war council where the senior officers and staff are present. And there's a lot of debate as to what Meade's thinking was going into this war council. Some people say that he already knew he was going to take the position that he did on day three. Um, and others say that he wanted the, um, you know, the opinion of all his officers. And two, Meade is a very new commander. So he's probably still trying to feel out the officers and get a consensus for how they want to fight and what they want to do. Um, you know, Coddington brought up that because who's his chief of staff at this point? It was uh, uh, it was Hooker's former guy. Yeah, it's Butterfield. Yes, yeah, Butterfield. So Coddington was saying, and he provided some um, reference that it was really kind of Butterfield who made it, who brought up the formal vote for it. So he was basically kind of arguing that Meade brought them all in. He was listening, talking, mm-hmm. trying to figure everything out. Um, but that it was really Butterfield who decided, hey, let's, you know, make this a little bit more official, recorded something, 
And Butterfield was definitely kind of a, a hooker guy and all this, not a fan of Meade, supposedly, after the war. And this kind of gets overblown to where Meade didn't necessarily want this official war console, mm-hmm. um, was his argument that he was giving in the book. Okay. So his argument was saying that this is getting, this gets blown out of proportion. Yeah. That, you know, Meade is just listening to everybody, but because Butterfield, you know, Butterfield does call it to, in a more formal setting. I can't remember if he like worded like, let's have a vote on this or let's, but he did it. He created this formality to it, to where this stuff got recorded for years later. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. Like we don't know what exactly went on. Like, I don't think anybody sat and took exact minutes of the, I real quick. I first Minnesota voluntary infantry regiment. Okay. That was so... the one that got decimated. Yeah, eighty-two percent, and they basically helped clog a hole that was starting to open up um, around Cemetery Hill. Wow. So sorry, that was bugging me. I had to look. No, no anyways, worries. Go ahead. Um, so at this war council, they decide that the army will main, main like remain in its present position and await attack by Lee. And um, there's disagreement as to exactly how long they wait. And some, like, saying some argue Meade had already made up his mind how to proceed and was just trying to get a consensus. Um, So, but one thing that happened after the meeting is Meade took Brigadier General John Gibbon aside, and he was um, an artillerist with Hancock's Second Corps, um, and said, if Lee attacks tomorrow, it will be in your front. He had made attacks on both of our flanks and failed. And if he concludes to try tomorrow, it will be at our center. So in other words, Meade's going to mix up what he's doing and he's going to attack at the center. And that's exactly where you are right now. And foreshadowing for our next episode, Meade was right in that. Um, And funny thing that happened during Meade's war council is, is General Warren is said to have fallen asleep. Yeah, he was just so exhausted. I like the corner. <laughs> that so. seems like there always seems to be somebody who falls asleep. Like Reynolds fell asleep during chant. Like Reynolds was like told me during Chancellorsville. He was like, this is how I want to vote. Do it for me. I'm going to go nap on this couch over here. Hey, Warren earned it. Oh, he did. Yeah, because Warren had been. Um, he was up scouting the battlefield like when Meade arrived. And I mean, I can't imagine all of those men. How little sleep they would have been going on. Oh, yeah. And then Warren, too, is... I think he's an unsung hero. He Gettysburg. is. He is. Like, he does not get the claim that, like, Hancock gets or oh. Chamberlain. But, I mean, he's definitely more important than Chamberlain to the overall battle. Yep. Um, without a doubt. Not to diminish what Chamberlain no. did. But Warren definitely... You know, his fingerprints are all over day two in a positive manner. Oh, so. yeah. Well, he saw that, like, like I tweeted last night, like, he saw that shit on Little yeah. Round Top and was like, we need to get people here. Um, And, you know, one of the reasons that Chamberlain's story is so famous is because of the Killer Angels. But, mm-hmm. you know, Chamberlain still does deserve that recognition. But I think there's others, too, that need just as much. And Warren is definitely one of them. And often, you know, like I've been at Little Round Top and I'll watch people when they look at the statue and they're like, who's that? And somebody be like, that's Warren. It's like, who's Warren? It's like, and then if you say like Chamberlain's name or Hancock's name, they know who it is. And um, like, I don't know. I think I agree with you, Nick. Like he's, 
he did a lot of good for the union on day two with what yeah. he did by going to right recognizing little round top and how important it was. Yeah. I mean, day two, I mean, it's kind of just uh, a prize fight, man, two heavyweights going at it, throwing punches and counter punches and back and forth. I think it almost ends up like a draw, I would have to say. Yeah, like I was trying to describe it to Jerry, and I said, like, you know, day one, you can understand it pretty well. It's fought in three phases, and each of those phases pushes the Union Army back further and further and further to where they're taking up their defensive positions. Day two is almost like a three-ring circus with just there's so much going on, and um, the fighting doesn't start till later on, and there's so, like, just there's a lot that does happen, but um, it's not as, I don't think it's as well understood as you know, what day three is or even day one. Yeah. Day two, I think it's more of a, I mean, that's kind of how war works. It's chaotic. Yeah. There's crazy things that happen. There's mistakes that are made. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mistakes end up being good things. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes things that seem so heroic probably wouldn't have, you know, didn't really influence the overall flow of everything not to take you know it's that's just how war is and yep. things happen because they happen and um the shit's chaotic yeah it, when you get that many people in an area fighting and all these countermeasures and stuff yeah agreed and so over on the confederate side of things like there's there's less confidence than what than what there was after day one but lee is still adamant on attacking and um, one officer reported that he's not in good humor over the miscarriage of his plans and orders. So things have not gone the way he wanted them to mm-hmm. at all that day. Um, but his report to Jeff Davis shows a different story. The result of this day's operations in- induced the belief that with proper concert of action and with the increased support gained on the right would enable the artillery to render the assaulting columns, we should ultimately succeed and it was accordingly determined to continue the attack. Longest run-on sentence ever right there. <laughs> That's all one sentence. Hey, I'm no grammar. No, neither am I, I at all. I'm so. like, wow, I could have written that. Um, hey, why, why use them when you don't need to? I know. But um, it's just interesting to see that, you know, what he's sending Jeff Davis is basically like, oh, yeah, if this, this, and this happens, we've we've got this. Um, and Longstreet and Lee are going to clash again. Longstreet is actually not with Lee at his headquarters at this night. At night, I think it's only AP Hill that meets with him. Um, and Longstreet, you know, in the next day, he's going to argue for a strategic movement around the Union's left flank. And Lee doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. And they're going to clash over that. Yep. But that is for our next episode. It is. So that is day two, Um, the chaos that is day two, Mm -hmm. Um, highlighted by the dumbass Sickles. I always Um, say, like, people will ask me about Sickles, and they're like, what do you think of him? And I'm like, oh, he is a three-ring circus. Yes, but he's still a better man than Fillmore. No, but day three, we will cover that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, looking forward to that for sure. Yep. But we got our weekly segments to get to. We do. So that's where we got to go. What's the first one? For the people, we the people, we the people, for the people. Of the people, by the people. For the people. (laughs) 
You got one or you need me to go first? I, I have one. So uh, mine is a shout out to my friend, John, who is, uh, he's the tattooed historian and he's got a really awesome Facebook page. He's got a podcast. He has been at Gettysburg for the last, for the first, second and third for all three days. And he has been doing Facebook lives from there. And um, I need to go back and watch a lot of them, but He's been doing some really cool stuff. Um, he also did some um, things. There was an event there on the weekend, and I caught a couple of the Facebook lives he did there. So if you're not, uh, if you haven't liked him yet on Facebook, uh, search for the Tattoo Historian and like that page. Um, he's Inked Historian on Twitter, and he has the Tattooed Historian podcast, which is really, um, really awesome podcast. We really hope we can have him as a guest on here at some point just to come on and chat with us. But yeah, check out his Facebook lives from Gettysburg because uh, knowing him, they will be, uh, they'll be top notch for sure. Yeah. He does a good job. I also watch this podcast. Yep. And thank you to him for helping bring this history alive and to people that can't be at the battlefield. That's really, really amazing. Agreed. Mine is from our Facebook group chat. So first of all, you're not a member. Um, just look up the rail splitter. Um, and then we'll get you added. We're up to 329 members. This is from Valerie G, uh, because I don't want to mispronounce the last name. Basically, though, this is dealing with some events take place July 15th and 16th down in the Springfield area um, honoring Mary Lincoln. So the first event is Monday, actually. Here's the schedule of events. Monday, July 15th. There will be a lunch at the Lincoln Home Conference Center, followed by the tour of Lincoln Home. So um, that's cool. They'll give you a lunch, too, if you sign up for that. A special tour of the Lincoln Home, so I'm sure they'll give you some deep dives on Mary Lincoln. Um, Then you have a dessert party that night as well at 7 p.m. at the Ramada North. So pretty sweet. And then that Tuesday, July 16th, 10 a.m., there will be a reef lane ceremony at Lincoln Tomb. Out in the cemetery, great site there. There will be some speakers there as well. Catherine Harris and Jerry Kolowski. And then you'll have the actual 10th annual luncheon where the topic of speech will be what Mary Lincoln would have experienced when she visited the hospitals. So kind of a cool event. Um, $25 per person, I believe, for that actual luncheon. 15 for the other lunch if you want the Panera Boxing. So if you're down in Springfield, you're in town, you're visiting, something cool there to get some more on Mary Lincoln because you'll definitely get Abraham Lincoln in Springfield. Um, you'll also get Mary Lincoln too, but it's always nice to get some deep dives for some experts, yeah. but not good stuff. So just wanted to give that a shout-out there. Also, I think this is time now. Remember, for our 100th anniversary, the gift we want is 50 reviews. Our 100th anniversary? <laughs> Holy shit, Nick, how old do you think we are? show. (laughs) Sorry. But with all that said, we do have a new review Saturday from FTW Panther. I don't know if that's Fort Worth Panther or not, Uh, but FTW Panther, he says outstanding. We got five stars from this person. One of the best historical podcasts around. Always informative and entertaining. Keep up the great work. First of all, I, I don't even consider ourselves a historical podcast. Oh, I consider wow. ourselves just um, a couple dumbasses enthusiastically <laughs> talking about the Civil War. 
definitely one dumbass. I shouldn't put you in that. So I <laughs> no, I, I am in that category. <laughs> um, so thank you. We are now at 43 reviews, so we need seven more by the time we do our 100th show. Wow, that, that made my day, that review. That was really, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, they don't all have to be that positive. I mean, no. we'll read them regardless. Yeah. I prefer, though, if you're going to bash Badmouth us, at least give us a five-star review. <laughs> um, you suck, but here's five stars. <laughs> I, you could even go into more detail why I suck as an individual. So, um, And I'll read it on air. Then, this week in Lincoln, you got something? Yep, I do. So, my friend uh, Jen, she sent me this t-shirt that says... I, I can't remember if this has already been a This Week in Lincoln. It's been so long. Um, it says history buff, and it's Lincoln, and he's really muscular. I'll just Yeah, it. he's ripped. Yeah. And it's a t-shirt that you can buy from somewhere. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, so that is our This Week in Lincoln. All right. We got to come up with a good one for the 100th episode. I know. That's stressful. But anyways, yeah, it is. Uh, we'll take care of that down the road. Maybe uh, we should get if if we do like um, just off the top of my head, if we do a meetup, we should get people to bring Lincoln things with them, and we'll pick one. We'll pick the best one. They should have to get tattoos of Lincoln, and then come there. Maybe I'll get a tattoo when I'm in Springfield of Lincoln. I was thinking of getting a signature tattooed on my forearm. Well, that'd be pretty. You have any tattoos? Nope, not yet, but I want one. Oh, man. Or two or three. Dude, you should just go all out three each day you're down there. Yep. No, I know exactly. I know all the tattoos that I want. And they're all Civil War related. Uh, I figured they were. Yep. They're all coffee mugs with Civil War generals. <laughs> <Shut on them. laughs> Shit, yeah, we'll have to do a whole episode on all the damn coffee mugs you buy when you're I know, there. yeah, we should. Yeah. I'm gonna buy oh, yeah. I I was thinking like when we go to the museum, like I am gonna buy I'm gonna get all these coffee mugs and bring them over to you and be like, look what I'm buying, Nick. You know, I was just in that shop. There I don't really see one that really caught my eye from uh I was a little disappointed in the co- This you know one what? is from the ALPM right here. My friend Angela bought it for me. That one's all right. If you listen to me, Lincoln Museum, you need to pick up your Lincoln coffee mug game. My goal is to have a different mug for each day of the Battle of Gettysburg with a different general that was prominent on each day. That's stupid. (laughs) Just saying. I'm going to get a Dan Sickles mug. Should get one of just his leg. Yeah, just his leg on it. I hope they don't make a Sickles mug, but they probably do. Well, I would only drink peach juice out of it if they did. (laughs) And that brings us to the end yep. of the show. I told Mary she could do the sign-off since I never get it right anyway. All right, real splitters. We'll keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next week.